0: Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything foreign policy has to offer.
1: Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. Philosophy for Our Times is brought to you in partnership with the new College of the Humanities, a university-level college offering undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in the heart of London. NCH pride themselves on offering unprecedented access to a world-class academic faculty. Philosophy students at the college are taught by some of the foremost scholars in the field, and one-to-one tutorials create a personalised teaching experience. Choose your major and minor for a unique combined honours degree and study the NCH Diploma to widen your appreciation of the world in ways you'd never thought of before. Go to NCH London. Dot ac, dot .uk for more information Think better think NCH After the heyday in the 1960s psychedelic drugs have since been tarnished with bad press. However, a growing craze for microdosing psychedelics has been seen across the world. In Silicon Valley tech giants from Steve Jobs to Bill Gates have experimented with LSD whilst mounting research looks to show not only the creative, but the antidepressant benefits of the drugs. This week's podcast explores how to harness the benefits psychedelics could offer us. From a form of therapy to a path of enlightenment or an important tool for activism. Pharmacologist and former Drugs Advisor to the Home Office, David Nutt. Drugs reformer and director of the Beckley Foundation, Amanda Fielding. And founder of the Psychedelic Society, Stephen Reed. Get serious about LSD. Mark Salter hosts.
2: We're going to talk about acid. We're going to go on a wild trip and all these other cheesy ideas of misunderstanding, psychotropics and what they do to the human brain. Do they really screw us up? Is it all about deranged hippies, bad trips, or ghastly flashbacks, horrible memories? Or actually, can these drugs do something interesting? In fact, might there be very, very valuable ways of changing how we structure our society? May they tell us something about how the brain works or what life is all about? Tricky when they're banned, and that's something we're going to be talking about today. What I'm going to do now is ask each person, starting with David and swivelling this way, to basically outline their position. Over to you, David. I, I sit here as the person, I think, who's probably given more different kinds of
3: drugs to human beings than anyone else in the world. I the last count, I've given over 20 different sorts of drugs to humans and studied what effects they have on their brain. And I can certainly say that the psychedelic studies I've done in collaboration with the Beckley have actually been the most interesting by far because they have not only told us how these drugs work in the brain, which has actually opened up a whole new chapter in brain science, but as a result of doing those basic imaging studies, we've discovered that psychedelics affect the parts of the brain which are intimately involved in mental illness, and so then we have moved from being neuroscientists to being clinicians and actually done the first ever trial of psilocybin, magic mushrooms, in uh, depression, and now we're starting trials in OCD and other psychiatric disorders. So I'm a neuropsychopharmacologist because I believe that studying the way drugs work on the brain is a is a door in or a window into brain uh, mechanisms, but also uh, a way of opening up new avenues of treatment.
2: Thank you, David. Amanda.
4: Well, I um, grew up in a very isolated situation. So I had much, nothing much to do except think about consciousness. And that became my passion and the mystical experience. And I started studying comparative religions and mysticism under the renowned Professor Zeyner, who was at All Souls. And I did that when I was 17 onwards. And then in 1965, I first was given LSD, and I realized that that hits the mystical experience which I had in childhood, but um, much more than reading about it. Then it was, uh, I realized it's amazing the mystical experience it can help one have, and many other amazing things. I still didn't think it was a way of life. And I had the misfortune of someone pouring maybe a 1,000 or 2 micrograms trips of LSD into my coffee without me knowing it. So I went through dying and reborn. And um, I wouldn't say it was a positive experience. I was fortunate enough next year to meet and start working with a man I consider of exceptional genius, a Dutch um, natural scientist um, called Bartuqet, and he had two hypotheses about how, what underlies changing states of consciousness, and one was to do with the irrigation of the brain, i.e., the blood supply and how it changes and how the capillary volume, how that um, the ratio of capillary to a cerebral spinal fluid matters very much, and the other was to do with the ego mechanism which controls, um, in how he saw it and I came to see it, um, the distribution of blood in the brain. And actually, these thoughts changed the way I looked at things very seriously. And for the next years, I studied, and I realized at that point that science was the way forward. One had to learn how these um, changes in consciousness happen, what underlies them. And so that's what I did and in 19 long when brain imaging came around in the 90s I decided to set up the Beckley Foundation so I could make use of brain imaging to correlate the subjective experience and bring sounds to
2: Amanda, thank you. This is something I'd like to return to in much more detail in a few seconds. And finally is the incredibly young looking Stephen Reed. I, I, forgive me, I'm getting old, But um, the reason I make a reference to that is that he is the the founder of the Psychedelic Society.
5: Yeah, great. So it's mentioned in the blurb for this event, can psychedelics deepen experience and enhance our lives? And I believe the answer is yes, at least when used responsibly. And first, to be clear, any substance can be dangerous when used irresponsibly. You can drink too much water and die. You can eat too many pies and die. But used with care, psychedelics are about as safe as they come. And certainly psychedelics have enhanced my own life. TCB encouraged a sense of wonder and confidence. Psilocybin mushrooms helped me develop my connection to non human life. DMT has shown me form and pattern structure of ineffable complexity and beauty. Five MEO DMT has given me the deepest, most direct experience of the unity and interconnectedness of all things and has resulted in a kind of well of inner peace. And a ten day dieta in the Amazon with ayahuasca felt like having years of therapy in days. Last but not least, LSD, and I can't say it better than Bill Hicks. Wouldn't you like to see a positive LSD story on the news? Wouldn't that be interesting? Just for once. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Now here's Tom with the weather. (laughs) And for sure, my psychedelic experiences have by no means been uniformly blissful, they're almost always challenging, difficult, and painful parts of a psychedelic trip, and indeed some trips are more pain than pleasure. But it's often felt that going through that pain has been an essential part of the healing or learning process. In my experience, all psychedelic substances at high enough doses in the right environment give a taste of the same basic truth, that there exists a ground of being, you can call it ultimate reality, God, Brahman, Tao, consciousness, whatever you like, It was never born and will never die, and it's the place from where all things arise and that all things return to. And to quote a certain Professor Nutt, uh, people in the psychedelic trip often experience being at one with the world or even the universe. It's as if they've gone out to another place. They exist beyond their body. That experience can give them a sense of perpetuity, of being part of the cycle of life, which, of course, we all are. So fully integrated, I believe these deep experiences of unity and interconnectedness imply a life of service and compassion. So I'll finish with the final lines of the Tao Te Ching, the foundational text of the Taoist philosophy worldview dating from the 6th century BC, which is a very important book to me. The sage sees the world as an expansion of her own self. So what need has she to accumulate things? By giving to others, she gains more and more. By serving others, she receives everything. Heaven gives, and all things turn out for the best. The sage lives, and all things go as the tau goes, all things move as the wind blows.
2: Thank you. Well, there we have it. The biology, the eternal cycle of life, the cosmology, if you like, and also the, the human existence and the human journey and Mary's science at the end. That seems to be telling us an awful lot about human nature and life, and that's what I want to start out talking about a bit more in the next uh, t- 10 minutes or so. David, we'll start with you, what can LSD do to, you know, increase the quality of life across the planet? Well, I think it will make people
3: think differently. Just so you're all aware, I mean, LSD was legal from 1943, when it was discovered, to 1967, when it was banned. Uh, it's the only drug to be banned because it changed the way people voted. <laughs> and uh, it, people started voting against war in favour of peace, and that was completely against politics and international uh, attitudes at the time. Probably still is, actually, and that's one of the challenges we have. So it can make, literally, it can open people's minds to a different way of thinking and doing things. How? Ah, right, so let me explain how the brain works. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) So the brain is a very clever thing. Your brains have 200 billion neurons, uh, which 160 billion are called pyramidal cells, and each pyramidal cell is a little computer. Each, Each and every one of your brains has got more computing power than all the computers on Earth today. Uh, And they compute in two dimensions. They compute, initially, each cell is a computer, but then the cells have to communicate. And the communication across those 100, 160 billion cells is quite complicated. And a lot of that communication is is mediated through receptors that drugs like LSD work on. So LSD stimulates a particular receptor on a particular uh, group of cells which regulate interconnectedness of the brain. The process of, of growing up particularly in uh, the, our current culture is all about making sure that the brain becomes does things in a very orchestrated and a very parcelated way different parts of the brain do their own thing and they can become more and more effective and rigid at doing that uh, as a result of education they get to a point where they can that's all they can do but under psychedelics the forces which push them into this this traditional way of thinking are broken down transiently and the brain can connect in a way that it previously has only connected when you were very young. And it's that opening up the brain to other to connections which you've never appreciated before
2: that allows you to see things differently. So that opening up of the brain, somehow
4: psychedelics break the rules of other drugs. I mean, how do we go about harnessing that? Well, absolutely. And that's what so excited me about LSD when I first got to know it. I thought it can really change the way the human animal sees reality. And it can be for the benefit, because it's widening it. It's taking away the repressions imposed by the ego, or what is now called the default mode network, that lessens its control. So all the rest of the world, brain communicates with itself more. And that is more chaotic, but it's also more creative and opens up new thinking. And I think that's incredibly important for our species now. could, could, I mean, I'm sorry to pin you down
2: on this, but could yes. you spell out that more more detail would you say regard to a particular instance? Well, the classic the example, example the was, was Gary Mullis, Carey
3: Mullis, Carey Mullis, who discovered the p- p- PCR, the polymerase yeah. chain reaction, he got the Nobel Prize for discovering a biochemical reaction which he had wrestled with for years, and then under LSD he saw the mechanism of achieving his goal, which is to make more DNA, so we could analyze it. And he said, I got the Nobel Prize because I took LSD, and it opened up my mind to how I had to do this particular piece of biochemistry. And PCR changes everything. Everything you've eaten today has been PCR'd. When you go and have your burger tonight, those of you who aren't vegetarian, you'll discover that, you know, if it's a hamburger or a horse burger,
5: you'll know that because of PCR. So, you know, that changed the world. And, he- and is this a reliable characteristic of psychedelics? I mean, certainly there's good evidence that these substances can help with creativity, and in fact, there's a seems to be a trend for micro dosing at the moment taking very small doses of lsd in silicon valley and other sort of tech communities to uh, to see if you know indeed it can um, produce benefits in the arena of work and so on uh, you, you mentioned the phrase opening up there we've already heard this this language of opening a few times and for me one of the most interesting possibilities and uh, you know, areas of research with psychedelics at the moment is their ability to produce sustained and measurable increases in, the, in a particular personality domain, that personality domain of openness, which is correlated with, with tolerance and, and anti-correlated with authoritarian behavior. Now, it seems to me that we're a moment in world history, if you like, human history, where more openness and tolerance seems absolutely critical. And in fact, I mean, you could say, I think, actually, it's not so political. I think, you know, people all across the political spe- spectrum understand that this is something we could do within our political debate just to help us, you know, move further in, in whichever direction Le- we need to start being able to talk to one another and be open to each other's ideas again. So, uh, I think it's, it's a very exciting and promising area to understand whether psychedelics could so, help us just simply like have those meaningful, genuine conversations no, with that, one another again. So,
2: so, this comes to the point, I think, of you know, actually making something quite useful here. That we can be rolled out to a bigger world. Yeah. You say Silicon Valley; these people are using microdosing, mm-hmm. I understand, small amounts to enhance creativity. So, mm-hmm. th- people with that kind of money and wealth and wisdom and hopefully intelligence, you know, are on the whole, quite good at putting their money into where things might go. But uh,
4: is there evidence that suggests that this really is working? Well, the research hasn't been done yet. Right. In fact, we're just about to start it. There's no scientific; it's all reported truth um, or not that it increases creativity and productivity. So, so the thought is that the microdose does what LSD in an ordinary dose does in a much smaller way. So it lessens the inhibition of the default mode network, which used to be called the ego, and it allows more connectivity throughout the whole brain.
2: Fewer side effects, fewer bad trips and psychotic experiences.
4: Um, with a micro dose, definitely. I mean, it's way That's beyond below that. So area you're suggesting of change.
2: then that this dose that we might, the way we might be using it in the future is not in the recreational style, but you were careful to pay attention, I think, Stephen, to the importance of context when you take the drug.
5: Yes, absolutely. Your... I mean, per- personally, I'm more interested in in the higher dose experiences that. Give, bring about these so-called mystical, spiritual-type experiences that people reliably describe as some of the most profound experiences of their lives. As I alluded to in the opening comments, that uh, you know, at, at best, this, uh, this changes our sense of self in a way, where it expands our sense of self. And there's already some good studies showing that, uh, uh, on nature-connectedness, showing that even just one strong psychedelic trip can make people feel much more connected with nature. Um, but it also works you know, for people around you, and in, in the most extreme sense, just all things really feeling like you are part of uh, some some whole, some deeper reality. And this, for me and for for other people that yeah. I that I know, have had these strong experiences. It entails a kind of natural empathy or compassion. I don't. If I'm, I wake up in the morning and I'm hungry. I don't consider the possibility of biting my own finger off to sort of, you know, to satisfy mm-hmm. my hunger. And that's because I have this kind of integral sense of of, of self that I, I, I naturally I take care of that that self without needing to like go through any calculations or processes. If if you can start to expand that, as kind of does happen quite naturally in, in a family unit, even right. actually, then it does seem to produce you know, positive behavioural effects. And I'm confident that psychedelics, careful use of psychedelics, would help to bring about a more loving, compassionate, kind so, society.
2: David, here you are, a doctor, a psychiatrist, and uh, you know, you've taken the Hippocratic Oath in one way. This gentleman here is saying, we should take large doses of this and encourage this. I mean, what's your view on that, as, a, as we say, you know, as a clinician? Well, I would say that between
3: 1953 and 1967, when the drugs were legal, the National Institute of Health in America funded 140 separate grants to study these drugs. 40,000 patients were studied, 1,000 papers were published, and the results showed powerful, clinically relevant effects. So the evidence actually is there. We've just
2: chosen to ignore it for the last 50 years. Or perhaps not chosen to ignore it, but chosen to suppress it one Mm -hmm. stage further, it seems to me. It seems to me that you have been advocating in many ways some very interesting things that come. Maybe from one-off studies, spectacular results that you've described, or from something other end, a huge scale of change of what it means for all of us to be human. But we can't because these damn things are illegal. Why are they illegal? Why the hoo-ha that's led to the suppression of this in research?
4: Well, I think very largely it was a policy driven by the US, completely based on non-scientific roots. They saw the kind of cultural evolution, revolution, not wanting to go and fight in Vietnam wars, etc., as a threat. They wanted to have rights to enter all these countries with either grow or transitory countries. It was all for political expediency. And paranoias that the laws were made. Could you say more about that paranoia? I mean, why crush... People have always been terrified of altered states of consciousness because it's always been kept secret. I mean, the humanity has gone through it at the core of our development, from the beginning of cultural development. Um, But then in Eleusis, which went on for at least 2,000 years, it was secret. Socrates probably got killed because he had it at his dinner parties instead of keeping the secret.
3: Now, I think people need to remember, I mean, that, that, I mean, I know Rupert was around in the 60s, and so was I, but it was a, very, a, I mean, a time of enormous change. Everything changed, I mean, psychedelics changed everything. They changed art, they changed music, and that, that, that was obvious, you know, and they changed dress, sense, you know, every, things changed phenomenally. And society, the establishment, thought, this could go too far. It could change us. And And that was why there was a backlash.
2: Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses, and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports, and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper. Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. What do you think though, David, was the reason for this suppression, the paranoia that that we've heard described?
3: All the drug laws in America and all our laws, which are followed exactly what America—they're all designed to suppress Individuals doing what they want to do. They're all the, the drug laws are about suppressing classes of group people, whether they're hippies, whether they're blacks, whether they're, they're young white men where, you do things that the media don't like, and who don't vote, so it doesn't matter if you suppress them.
4: And also, the government is kind of projection of the ego, and the ego likes to keep control. Right. And it doesn't like people talking out of time. To,
5: to, be, to be fair, actually, I think uh, the way some of these substances were being used around the end of the 60s and early 70s, from what I've read and understand, was reckless or bordering on reckless. And mm. it's not the way in which these substances are being used nowadays. We understand mistakes were made. So, there, you know, I could offer a slightly more sympathetic view that actually there was there was genuine concern about people, uh, you know, Doing harm to themselves because these are certainly very powerful substances that apps have to be used in the right way, at the right dose, and so on. Otherwise, people will get into trouble. And for for Leary, since you mentioned him, you know, to be going just and um, advocating the sort of mass consumption of LSD with no advice on on dosing and environment, I think was was an irresponsible thing to do. And that's not that's not what's happening this time. And I'm very optimistic that now we do have a more uh, you know, g- complex, refined sense of how these substances are best used that we can avoid some of the mistakes that were made in the past for the good of humanity.
4: And I'd just like to point out that in the 60s, when I and a small group were taking LSD, we were doing it to enhance cognitive functioning and that was what we were focusing on and did, doing our research cognitive on Cognitive functions is a very big area. Can you say which a, particular a cognitive area. functions you're trying to enhance? Understanding oneself and humanity and why we're such a kind of mad but brilliant mm-hmm. species and what can one do to help make it better. Which I,
2: appears to be, I, I think, Steve, what you're trying to say through your work with the, the, the psychedelic society. Have you encountered this, this resistance, this, this suppression in, in your own work?
5: Uh, Actually, no. No, I was when I started the society, especially given that I've been involved in other activist groups, I was very much prepared to get some interest from the police or some some branch of authority. And I, we have had nothing the whole time, which is encouraging, actually. Right. and I sense things are changing and changing very rapidly. Cannabis is already legal in what a dozen or more states for both medical and recreational use in the US. Uh, there's, there's, I think there's a bill uh, at the federal level in the United States proposing regulation you know, across the whole country there. Uh, there's, a, there's been there's some movement in Parliament on cannabis in the UK over the past days as well. For, the, the war on drugs is ending. Prohibition is ending and uh, that's uh, I think in five 10 years, you know, there will be cannabis dispensaries in this country that hopefully there will also be psilocybin therapy centres where people can, you know, beautiful locations in the countryside where people can go, uh, both people that are unwell maybe, but also people that are are generally considered well, simply to have deep experiences with these substances and help them obtain that deeper sense of meaning and and purpose in their lives.
2: David, you heard what he said, the war on drugs is ending. I mean, you were in the newspapers only, what, seven years ago saying the exact opposite, as I recall. Well, the war on, I mean, it
3: depends which country you're talking about. In the UK. In the last decade, we have been the most repressive country in the world in terms of drugs. We're the only country in the world that's actually gone backwards, possibly Russia. Uh, yeah, maybe that's an interesting analogy, but the, the reality is we're the only country in the world that's actually banned drugs which don't exist. The, <laughs> 2016, the Psychoactive Substances Act banned anything that works on your brain that isn't alcohol. We're still fighting a war on drugs in, at least notionally, perhaps not on the ground with the the police, know a lot of the police have given up now. Sorry, Steve, you are going to barge in uh,
5: Vast numbers of people nowadays are using these very secure, anonymous internet channels to order psychedelics and other substances directly to their houses, uh, arriving in sort of, you know, an, very normal looking letters, and totally bypassing the normal systems of organised crime and some that would otherwise be providing these substances, and are using them just in a very simple, safe, responsible way. But that's, This is another perspective on why the war on drugs is ending, or maybe in has already ended, <laughs> you know, right. the people, basically, it's already the case that anyone who wants to get hold of these things and has a, has a you know, degree of knowledge of the Internet can very easily. But it's do not so. ended
3: because three days ago, the GP in Northern Ireland who's prescribing for the boy with severe epilepsy was told he's no longer able to prescribe because he's breaking the law. So this kid will either die or have to go back to the states to get his treatment it hasn't ended it's been fought in a different way Mm. being fought more
4: subtly but it hasn't ended yet Mm -hmm. there's been a tidal shift in educated opinion about it but um, when i started the beckley foundation in 1998 it was in the stone ages uh, um, the global drug policy i mean they had no attempt at a scientific evidence base and so, so it's taken whatever it is, 24 years of work, right. building up an evidence base. But
2: how do we know that this tidal shift is not going to turn into a tsunami of, you know, serious side effects? Okay, it didn't happen in the 60s, but you know, if we are to now think about the world we might live in when these kind of drugs are widely available and useful, I mean, how do we know that won't do more harm than good?
3: What we're advocating yeah. is, is, at this stage, to have them back in medicine. They were yes. right, put in, them back med-
2: in medicine, right? Yes. medicine,
4: like Where
3: it's,
2: it's safe.
4: Well, yes. I mean, regular, it, it also takes more discipline to take a psychedelic than not to take a psychedelic. It's not an immediately, um, you know, it's not like having a drink.
2: Well, good. That, this is what Steve you alluded to—the idea that taking the drug, in, even large doses, should be responsible with doing it, taking it properly and sensibly.
5: Yeah. Right? So I, I I often talk about not simply psychedelics, but the psychedelic experience or psychedelic therapy, and like the the context in which we take these substances is is absolutely critical. And I'm. Uh, can you
2: just f- flesh that out for an example? Supposing I'm suffering, say, schizophrenia or severe uh, okay, depression.
5: So, one of the uh, my organization actually runs psychedelic experience weekends in the Netherlands, where you can, people can go to the website and fill out an application form, and we ask a series of questions about people's mental and physical health. So, it, it,
3: he's talking about the legal use of psilocybin in the Netherlands, because the Dutch have always had a yeah. rational approach to drugs. Cannabis is legal there. The mushrooms, truffles are
5: legal there. Mm-hmm. Like Thank you. Um, yeah, so we could, this is totally legal, above board, and we can advertise it publicly. We ask detailed, fr- detailed information about people's mental and physical health, and if there's any, you know, uh, indication of schizophrenia, then they would not be accepted onto the program. You, abs- you know, there is some evidence that psychedelics can precipitate existing mental health conditions, and we we keep up with the latest you know, evidence on this from people like Imperial, and and very careful to apply it. Uh, but these, So we take groups of usually 15 people at a time then, over to houses in the countryside outside of Amsterdam, sort of a nice countryside setting, uh, with three sober facilitators. And on the Saturday daytime, people have uh, a trip on these psilocybin truffles. It lasts about four to six hours. There's a specially designed playlist playing. And uh, this, this, I think, is the future. This is, I think there'll be many more centers like this and coming from all sorts of different angles I mean, some play very mm. particular types of music or some will have more of a you know in, in, combine it with yoga or some right. will combine it with meditation and uh, it's, it's it's already happening and in the Netherlands and as soon as it's possible in the UK we will see an absolute yeah. proliferation of this but
2: we're yet to measure this and demonstrate it in the rational way that you're advocating
4: yes obviously- i mean in the ayahuasca which has come out of the amazon they have a tradition of taking it as a group and being supportive And we've done research to see um, Mm. the results of these people, Westerners who go, and they're very positive. And so if I might say, I I started the Beckley Foundation in 98 to bring scientific research so we understand how these compounds work in the brain so we can better use them as tools. And for that, I set up collaborations with people. And one of, indeed, the most successful was setting up with Dave Nutt, and we've done breakthrough research. So we seem to
2: be saying then that these drugs, if used carefully and skillfully in controlled situations, can make some big differences to human nature in general, provide valuable insights amongst creatives. But I want to come back to the point you made, Dave, about, you know, individuals with mental illness and mental health problems and, you know, leaving it perhaps in the first instance in the hands of scientists and doctors. What about some of the the more severe disabling illnesses? Schizophrenia, one in a hundred, depression. Whatever that means, but taking a broad brush approach to depression, we're talking about twenty percent of the human beings on the planet, if WHO is to be believed. I mean, what are, what what are these? Can these? Do you think these drugs can do for that very large number of billions of people? Mm-hmm. Now, now we well, are talking well, about.
3: Well, d- I mean, certainly our research in depression suggests that even people who have got very entrenched, resistant depression, can get significant benefit from a single uh, psilocybin trip. Uh, our study was probably the most powerful study of uh, outcome in resistant depression has ever been, more powerful than ketamine or ECT. Really? Uh, and, uh, but it doesn't last for everyone. I mean, some people stayed well for, for six months or longer. Others, uh, the depression crept back, and that's because for so many people, depression is the product of a lifetime of, of trauma, misery, stress, etc., cetera, which sort of ingrains the brain into a way of thinking which even psychedelics can't get rid of completely, but it may be that even those people you know, where you get a benefit and it runs away, you, you could have maybe two or three sessions a year, you know, you, so rather than go on, you know, you go, on, you go to spas to get better, why don't you have yes. psychedelics at spas? And,
4: and uh, regulation is blocking these people in need getting treatment they need, because our treatment through the studies with um, Psilocybin particularly, LSD is only just beginning to happen because it's so taboo, but psilocybin have shown remarkable um, results and overcoming addiction to nicotine, a study I did with John Hopkins, we had 80% success rate in the pilot study, which is, you know, so we're getting very high success rates, and the government should encourage the research.
2: You mentioned earlier on, Stephen, that there are some people you just wouldn't give it to, maybe mm-hmm. with psychotic illness mm-hmm. and LSD. On the basis of your own experiences so far, are there a certain sort of person who does respond well, who does have this intense life change? People who want it. This is never,
3: you're never going to give this drug or these drugs to people who don't want it. Right, And the Americans show that very clearly because they force it onto people mm. uh, who weren't prepared. Yeah. And if you don't prepare people and they don't want it... So careful preparation. So, so Taking
2: the pill in a healthy, happy place with the sun shining
3: on, and a friend.
5: Exactly. So, on our experience, yeah. weekends, fill this people fill out this application form. And there's then at least a month between mm. the application and the weekend. And we spend at least 24 hours with people before they get any, anywhere close to the psilocybin. And all of that is very important, in uh, meaning that people then do have positive experiences during the trip.
4: And, and what our research has shown, and other people's, is that when people have a peak experience, ego dissolution or mystical experience, it is correlated with efficacy of treatment. So that shake up of the basic rigid patterns is how the new behavior and thinking gets put into place at a very deep level
2: i like to just share with you my own misgiving about this, which is another thing, which is what all three are advocating really is directly a quick effect of a pill to bring about a permanent or perhaps a short-term life change, but isn't this getting away from the putting, you know, the, the pill at the top? Are we not becoming obsessed with, as it were, a biological process to change life? You know, like you suggested earlier on, you gave us a brief summary of Taoism and Buddhism, is this not just a quick, short, I really don't cheating shortcut to enlightenment?
5: Ah, great question. Yeah, fascinating topic. Uh, it's, I've heard the analogy that psychedelics are like taking a helicopter ride to the top of a tall yeah. mountain and being dropped there and looking out across the view and saying, wow, what an amazing view. Indeed. And something like meditation uh, is like climbing up the mountain over the course of days, weeks, years. And then you get to the top of the mountain and you see the view. And it's, you know, it's amazing. And the question is, is it the same view? Well, on, on some way, yes, but of course, perhaps the fact that you'd walk the mountain path and you know really f- knowing that you'd made that effort g- gives it a different quality in another way. So uh, certain, s- f- psychedelics ap- have absolutely inspired an interest in me in Eastern philosophy and meditation and other techniques. and I very much see psychedelics as part of a basket of practices including yoga and meditation, spending time in the wild, uh, you know, fasting, chanting, actually many of stuff that, uh, that Rupert was speaking about just in the last session. Uh, that can all help us connect with this sense of something greater than ourselves. And I think th- it- there is a, there's an enormous amount of. In some sometimes I feel that it's there's just an enormous amount of fuss around psychedelics, and that. Uh, in five or ten years, we may see them very much alongside these other techniques as right. kind of equivalent and, and different. So just one of the tools and, and, in the kit, in, indeed. It? And some Indeed, oh, and different tools work better for different people. Some people really don't get on with meditation and maybe do really get a lot from psychedelics and vice versa. And I think it, we, we all come to accept this as a society and see psychedelics as one legitimate path of achieving this kind of transcendence among several.
2: Helen, are you going to say?
5: I
4: was going to say, I think what they do is make the internal environment more fertile for change and for a deeper viewpoint.
2: Providing the external environment Uh, is absolutely terrifying. Providing,
4: (laughs) yeah, and providing the person is interested. It doesn't mean it's an automatic answer, but if the person is interested in treating themselves or exploring more about themselves, it diminishes the default mode network. But, I mean, don't you think, David, put this to you,
2: don't you think this debate itself and the things you're advocating is merely reinforcing our, Human science, our obsession with biologism at the expense of the broader picture of context, life. Most depression, for example, doesn't come from brain deficiencies; it can be fixed, but comes from living horrible lives, impoverishment, starvation, and just you know, the well, general
3: yes, brain so deadness of the West.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, I mean, is a pill an answer to
3: this? There's considerable amount of truth in what you say, but in practice, it's actually proved very difficult to change the world. And, so focusing on changing the person may be the better way forward right. in the short term, <laughs> and that's course. not a quick <laughs> fix. If mean, it, we... <laughs> if it, if it, it turns out that the people, changing people, we change the world, and
5: and that's what they were frightened about. That's why the drugs mm. were banned because because that is the way to do it. Um, 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 we, we need both, of course. We need to. It's not simply good enough to think that all the problems are out there, and if we only sort of go on one more protest and one more march, and I've been on a few, mm. believe me, like then it will, things will get better. And it's also not good enough to simply say I'm just going to you know meditate myself to enlightenment and then. You know, everything will be fine because it won't. There'll still be a world out there with plenty of other people who, you know, are in difficult situations. And and these these worlds are coming together. Incidentally, there's this uh, there's a a movement now, acid Corbinism. I don't know if you're familiar with this. (laughs) Uh, Actually headed up by like a a very, uh, very intelligent, respectable guy called Jeremy Gilbert. Um, that is, the acid here does not necessarily refer to LSD. It's more the spirit of improvisation and creativity that you might get from those kinds of experiences. But it's asking how can how can that spirit be con- combined within this, ca- you know, in this case, Corbynism or like current, uh, you know, or like political currents of our time, to for the good of the world.
2: So if I could just uh, ask you all to thank our speakers.
1: I hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. For more podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe our iTunes and SoundCloud page to never miss an episode of Philosophy for Our Times.